are live welcome everybody welcome to today's industry 4.0 uh, weekly live q a stream here with walker reynolds and von turner what's what up, up guys what up peeps holla holla hey mario <laughs> hey anthony welcome good to see you guys in the chat let us know where you guys are joining from on today's live stream where from around the world are you guys uh learning about industry 4.0 we're here live every week at Tuesday, noon central. We've been live like every week this year and uh, we are 4.0 solutions here to help you learn about industry 4.0, IIoT and digital transformation, answering your questions. We've actually got a special segment to for you guys to today. Um, Walker's answering a question that we've gotten quite often, which is how has IntelliC integration and uh, 4.0 solutions been able to scale so quickly? So we've got a lot of system integrators on today's live uh, system integrators in our discord server, system integrators in our mentorship and mastermind community that we are here to serve. So if you are a system integrator, definitely say hello. Special shout out to Tom Cruttenden with Get Rugged Solutions, a new member of the mastermind. So shout out, Tom. Thank you for joining. What are you drinking today, Walker? I am drinking, if you must know. <laughs> A raspberry acai uh, Celsius. Um, Dan's in Hawaii. Yeah, he's on vacation, man. He's living it up. What? Yeah. Dan joined us from Hawaii. Um, well, I, I'm actually giving Riken a shout out today, actually, too. Uh, Aloha. Or where are you? Are you in Waikiki? The land of the homeless? <laughs> That's so good. So true. Seriously, you walk on the beach in Waikiki, and the first thing you notice is so all, the all the pavilions are taken up by the homeless. It's really sad. Um, I'm going to put the chat up on the stream, so if you guys put the chat message now, I should show up on the screen here. So, all right, we got two minutes to go. So this is at, how's it going, Liam, Dan? Hey, Zach, I'm not actually running the stream today because, as everyone will notice, I am not in my studio um, I'm in the conference room today, and the reason I am not in the studio is because the uh, studio is being remodeled. So it actually will, it's getting a fresh coat of paint, we're getting new vibe boards. So Zach and I are, so instead of using whiteboards, we'll be using a vibe board. If you guys haven't looked at vibe boards, pretty cool. Um, basically digital whiteboards that you can collaborate together so I can, I can do a whiteboard we got one right uh, here, session. actually. And Zach can do one at the same time. Yep, go ahead. This is a this is a vibe board whiteboard. And so we'll be able to have this on our digital whiteboards, but also we can share this uh, the whiteboard link with other people or in integrate Google Docs or uh, Teams, uh, Zoom calls, etc. So it's going to basically change the way we do our education outreach and our content. So we're really excited about it. So the studio is being remodeled. And uh, phase one will be done today. The rest will be done by Friday. Um, but you guys, it, it should look the same when I'm um, sitting at the workstation the way I normally am. But you'll actually see a much cooler um, when we do whiteboard videos. It'll be it'll look pretty slick. So. Um, all right, Zach, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Get started. How many uh, how many people we got? We got like 21 people in the chat. OK. Can you see me? See my screen? Yep, there, there we go. All right, let's get started with Q&A. 
Yeah. Um, so this is actually going to be a little different format because I'm one of the questions I'm going to answer will probably take 20 minutes, give or take. Uh, but I think it's a valuable, it's a question we get all the time. And I actually got it again this morning. So I decided to go ahead and include it in the, the Q&A today. So um, Community Spotlight, for those of you guys who don't know, Dan Riken, um got with Arlen Nipper and included him in the uh, study group one session, which will be this Saturday. I think it's uh, eight, uh, uh, six o'clock Pacific. So it's eight o'clock my time, I think is when they get started. Dan Riken, please correct me if I'm wrong in terms of what time it is. Um, and I, I think he told me something like at least 30 people reached out and asked if they could join the, uh, the session. Um, I'll be on there as well. Um, make sure that Arlen only tells the best stories about me. Um, <laughs> he's, if you know Arlen, he, he's going to tell the actual stories. Um, tom um, not tomorrow, Thursday, we're doing the PLC Next workshop. I actually have it on the um, desk here. Um, so we'll be, doing, uh, we'll be connecting a PLC Next to the Unified Namespace. You guys remember during sabbatical, I wrote an automation program that automation program actually controls like a STEM robot. Um, we'll, that, we'll be integrating all of that into a UNS and we'll be giving people the ability to go ahead and control it remotely, but not through an IoT platform. So just through the technology, through the, the unified namespace. Um, that's this Thursday at eight o'clock. It's a four hour session. There will be a presentation at the beginning and then we'll go through the um, the we'll go through the integration. I'll share the program with anybody who has a PLC next if they want to do copy it. Um, and then um, I know that there are people, I think we got at least seven or eight people who are not in mentorship or mastermind who have, who are going to be joining us as well, which is awesome. A la carte. Um, oh, isn't that pretty Zach? Uh, boy. Uh, channel updates, we got 11,600 subscribers. You got the OPC UA um, series has... Over 5,000 over five thousand views on the part one. Yeah, we got, yeah, over five, yeah, a lot. It's really been well-received. Um, it's actually created a really good conversation in the uh, Discord server. I'm going to kind of go over that actually here in a minute. Um, not the conversation, but um, sort of what's come out of it. Um, we have over 2,300 members in the Discord server itself. Um, a big thank you to our sponsors, who those who the companies that are sponsoring the channel. So, Phoenix Contact uh, and specifically PLC Next Group, and a, a special shout out to Ira Sharp, who, um, you know, he sponsored our summer launch. So you guys will notice over here on the, the left hand side, these are the the swag packs. Um, one, two, three, four. I think we still have a nine of them or something stacked there. We just kind of give them out um, randomly to people. Um, Phoenix Contact sponsored those swag packs and, and are a big supporter of the community. EMQX, the enterprise broker, they're the, the sponsor this month and they're the ones who have been sponsoring the OPC uh, UA series. EasyVPN next month, you guys are really going to get a get to see um, an integration of the Easy. VPN, it's the IO Hub. Correct. That's what yep. it's called, IO Hub. Yep. You get a chance to see that integration, and uh, we're going to be doing benchmarking between Easy VPN and Tossybox, which is our other favorite VPN. And then Canary is the sponsor for October. Um, training updates. Mentorship's got two seventy five. Is that right? Didn't we add 
Didn't we just add five new people? No, that number is correct. Okay. So 275 members in mentorship. Um, we have eight people submitted their zipped VPNs. I am reviewing three of them right now. Well, me and the team have restored three of the VMs and we're going through the projects. Um, this week is a super busy week with content. So that's, I, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to get back to it, but I'll know by the end of the week, how far we are with reviewing, uh, the practicals, um, for both mentorship and mastermind, we're going to be doing this PLC next integration to the unified namespace. Um, mastermind is this Friday, um, eight to 11, eight to 12. Uh, we have 74 members in the program. Um, so that the content for this month is going to be two things. Um, PLC next integration, and then we're going to talk about disruptive leadership. I'm actually going to go over some of the content in the um, Q&A today. Actually, um, I used the outline for Mastermind to answer one of the questions today. Um, a couple of industry updates. Again, I know a bunch of people have signed up for the Canary Roadshow, um, September 13th to 15th. Again, so again, if you're going to do, if you're going to travel anywhere, this is what you really want to do. This Tuesday case um, is exactly what we talk about. So I'll be given the keynote, uh, the keynote address. Um, basically, the title is cutting through buzzwords and identifying the problem. Um, but Opto 22, Tassi Box, HiveMQ, Canary, um, Tatsoft, and then INS3, who is an integrator based in Chicago. They're close partners with Tatsoft. They have a cloud, like a cloud-based MES solution that they're going to be integrating um in that clout, uh workshop a clout a clout based yep. mes clout based yes um <laughs> <-based>. but anyway <laughs> if you if you want to, there's only 150 seats total i know that a bunch of people have signed up i know it's the biggest response i've ever had um so if you want to um join zach will put the link in the the chat and with that let's uh are there any quite yeah quick yeah. question are there any one. questions from the community right now that I can answer before we get into the Q&A? From Nihal yeah. on LinkedIn, is there a course or website that actually teaches you step-by-step -step guide to establish IoT? So that's a, that's a good question. Um, here, he, so the answer, the short answer is there's nothing, you, you can't just go to like a website and, and follow step-by-step step how to create an IoT infrastructure or an IIoT infrastructure. You can find those things use case by use case. Like, hey, I have a use case for this IoT thing. Like, hey, I have this thermostat in my house and I want to and I want to be able to control my thermostat at the same time I'm turning my sprinklers on in my backyard. And, you know, I can find a step-by-step -step walkthrough to do that, right? Using an MQTT broker and Mosquito and, you know, one of the apps that you can download um, on your uh, phone. I think like, you know, MQTT Snooper is like a really good one, right? But industrial Internet of Things is a completely different animal. I mean, it, you, you have to start by rewiring the way your brain thinks. If you're in automation, you got to start by rewiring your brain. Number two, you've, there are basic premises you have to accept. So there's some baseline stuff you know, six core principles, then you have to learn the steps, then you have to learn how to design, uh, come up with a digital strategy, design an architecture, and then learn how to iterate for digital transformation. The, all of that stuff's the stuff we teach in mentorship and mastermind. You can get that education um, without going through mentorship and mastermind, well, but it's just going to take course. longer. You could go, 
yeah, you could go to the you could go to our Discord server, right? The Industry 4.0 Discord server. And then through there, you could go to IIoT.university and you could take the free IIoT mini course, which will give you the baseline. It's going to give you here. Here are the things I have to understand before I can even get installed started. But to answer your question, is there a is there a, a thing that you can learn, like, say, in a week or two? Um, no, but um, there's a lot of resources out there. And I would start with our Discord server and um, going and taking the free IoT mini course on IoT.university. I'll put a link to join the Discord server. There's also a link down below in the comments. Um, shout out to Omar. <laughs> shout out to Omar with HiBite. <laughs> He's, he offers he, he offers to come on the community live every week. Basically, <laughs> he's like, "Hey, awesome. if you need an extra body for community live, I'm down. We got to bring him on again." Hey, Paul, um, how's next, it going? Next week for the company spot, we're doing a uh, as part of the EMQ sponsored series. They're doing a company spotlight, so it's a basically a full one hour expose, sixty minutes. It's going to be kind of like a webinar, but ten times better because we're going to actually pack it with value. And, uh, you know, it's going to be kind of like a little bit about their company, also about their product. Right. So it's going to be a back and forth conversation, kind of like a podcast, but uh, we're calling it our company spotlight. This one's EMQ and we're wanting to do it next week and we're planning on doing it like the hour before our Q&A. So it would actually like kind of be a two hour full segment if, if that works or, or just the hour before. So but I'm, I'm working with Jalen on that right now. We'll let you guys know. But we're, we're trying to do that in August because August is the month that EMQ helped sponsor. So and then EasyVPN, we're working. We're actually meeting with EasyVPN next Monday. Uh, they actually had a, a fully fledged building, a fully fledged easy uh, industry 4.0 application with IO Hub. I invited mm -hmm. some of you guys in the discord to that. Some of you guys showed up. So thank you. I know Chris Geely went, went to that. Um, a lot of you guys are looking at IO Hub and we're going to be. Wait, in, it, in September it's Chris. Wait, is it Chris Geely for real? Is it really the E is hard, or is it Chris Geel? Is Chris on? Don't don't listen to me about pronouncing. Oh, we're just God. talking about this. Yeah, we've we we talked about this in the prep. Exactly. That means I've been mispronouncing his name for eight years. If that's really what it, how his last name is pronounced, and he's never corrected me, so um, holy shit, that would freak me yeah, out. So, but uh, I'm uh, sure they'll have a recording for that. But Walker and Paolo are talking next Monday. And we're going to be basically getting the full inside scoop and, and delivering some content in the month of September. Do me a, do me a favor and put their link in the chat. So if anybody wants to check out the, so I've been, I've been like deep diving on the IO hub to learn the technology a little bit better. And it's actually really brilliant the way they've implemented it. It's actually um, like, it's not what's the IO hub is basically an IOT platform or IO, yeah, well, it, it's a platform slash solution that they run in their um, uh, their edge device, but the but it doesn't need to run in their edge device. It's it's basically deployable in essentially well, I don't know which hardware it's deployable in right now, but it doesn't have to be deployed just in their edge device. So it's yeah, a platform for run IPC. right. So it's it's designed to run. IoT solutions. You could build IoT solutions. Think uh, like AWS Greengrass. Think like Greengrass. Um, but but it, they go to market by putting it in their edge device, which is the easy, which is the actual industrial VPN. However, 
I long term, I don't think that's where you're going to see most implementations. You're going to see most implementations in other hardware, right? Um, which is it's pretty slick the way that they've they've wrapped it. So, um, all right, real quick. So let's let's go ahead and get to the questions. Uh, I want to bring up two things. Um, number one, before I get into the the Q and A itself. So we shot the OPC UA. There was a bunch of questions where people would ask, "Hey, you know, haven't you guys?" gone after OPC UA enough? Um, the answer is no. Okay. And and the response to the, the videos where we shoot, you know, what is OPC, what is MQTT, and we're trying to do the delineations is proof of that. There are people in the community who are way further advanced. Remember, to become an industry 4.0 professional, you actually have to train. If you're an industry 3.0 professional, you do automation or you write software or you do SCADA or you build MES applications, right? But you don't build unified namespaces for enterprise ecosystems to with using an IoT platform. Remember where you were when you first started. Like, you know, it's like before you took the red pill, you knew there was a splinter in your mind, which is, you know, I'm, all the matrix references. Um, the There was a splinter in your mind that there has to be a better way, right? And then you took the red pill and then you started on this industry 4.0 journey and it's a journey and then sometimes it's painful right you have to challenge your prevailing thoughts you've got to you got to challenge the way that everything that you've known in your career up to this point you have to challenge that stuff right so there are people many 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 people in the industry we basically estimate there's about a million people in our industry about 1 million globally okay so when we get 11,000 subscribers, you know, I mean, that's basically 1% of the total audience, which is huge. That's an enormous, you know, like if you show the Super Bowl and only in the 80 million people watch out of a potential audience of 8 billion, right? Um, that, you know, that's just a tiny little fraction. You know, we have 1% of the total, 1% of the total audience. Did you just compare you know, our live streams and our YouTube channel to the Super Bowl, though? <laughs> well, no, no, but I'm I'm doing the comparison, right? Like percentage of total audience, <laughs> I think you right? Did. I, think... <laughs> well, I, I like it. The, I, like it. The, I like where your head's right. at, Walker. All right, but here, here's my point. My point is this. Digital, be, becoming an industry 4.0 professional is a journey. It, it's a journey where you leave old stuff behind and you learn the new and you embrace it, right? And it's a painful journey for some, okay? Especially if you own, the, own 30 the, OPC products. Right. The early member, the early members of the community, like the Dave Schultzes and the Dan Rikens and the uh, Kevin, forgive me, Kevin. Sorry, man. Um, what's Kevin's last name? Jones. Jones. Kevin Jones. Sorry. Um, the Andrew Otts, the Mario Ishigawas, right? All those people were early, early members of the community. They were they were early adopters of Industry 4.0. It's not like they came to the community and learned about Industry 4.0. They were already kind of dabbling. They were already testing it out. Then they became early members of the community. They have all been in this community a year now, and they have grown exponentially. Every one of them. You know what what Dave Schultz is doing, what Michael Dowdell is doing, what Michael Dowdell and his team is doing, what Dave Schultz and his and his team are doing. They're all doing amazing things with IIoT and Industry 4.0. And if you look at the manifestation, you know, using the unified namespace, using edge-driven report-by-exception lightweight technology to solve problems for their clients, they're doing amazing shit. 
a year ago, they were learning how to do amazing shit. There are obviously thousands and thousands and thousands of people who at this point are saying, it's time for us to start learning so we can do amazing shit. And that's why when we did the, and the step for many of them is, why do I need an IIoT protocol? Why can't I use OPC? And that's the reason we shot that content is there is a lot of misconception, uh, misconceptions out there about what OPC is, where OPC UA, where does OPC UA fit in the IoT ecosystem? Where does MQTT or DMP3 or AMQP or any of these other broker technologies, where do they fit? Okay. And that's the reason we had to shoot that content. So number one, there's a whole bunch of other videos that still have to come. Um, Zach's flying out tonight. We actually shoot some more content. But Zach, how many videos do we still have left to publish from that series that we've already shot? Two more, right? Right. So we did part one and part two of OPC. Then this week we've got part one and part two of MQTT. Which we've already shot. Which we've yes, already shot. Right? Be posted. Yes. Then we're doing the company spotlight with the MQ and we want to do... We're the, doing a one hour. We're doing a one hour screen share that I'll be doing. And we want to do the head to head EMQ and high of MQ broker comparison. Perfect. Correct. So just so just remember, we we you know there's a broad audience out there that we try we're trying to speak to, and I, you know I think we're getting mature enough now where, um, you know there we you may hear us we may read videos we did a couple of years ago because we want we have updated um, news that we want to include in those videos. Number two, what comes out of that? You guys may notice, um, well, I strongly want to encourage you guys to go into the general chat inside of the Discord server and, and basically read everything from like last Saturday morning up until now. There's a really great back and forth. There's some awesome architecture diagrams that went in there. Um, Matt Paris dropped in a couple of really cool, um, you know, he did a, a high level deficiencies with OPC UA. I wasn't a high level. It was really a mid-level detailed um, where he kind of lays out, okay, here, because of these things, OPC UA needs to be needs to be over here. Um, because of these things, MQTT needs to be in this over here in your architecture. Okay. okay. Um, number two, uh, number three. Uh, there's a guy named Ravil who's from One Way Automation. You know, they make OPC UA products. You may see, you may have seen them in this. We've been going back and forth um, for the last couple of weeks, and we have scheduled to do. Um, a podcast with him uh, next week or a week after next. It's week after next. So the week after next, we're going to do a podcast. We may still do it live. We're just going to confirm with him. Hey, do you really want to do it as a live stream? But we'll we'll it'll basically sort of be um, it'll be educational because you know I'm going to answer some questions that he you're has. Specifically. You're not going to crucify him. <laughs> no, 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 no. My my goal will definitely not be to do that. Um, I mean, obviously it's going to be very easy to make my argument and that, and the debate part should be over in about 10 minutes. Um, and then the, the rest of the time, 50% of the time, hey, we should, Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> good to see you, buddy. Um, hey, I want to, I want to get to your question in a second. Yeah. So we, we should be doing, so we should be doing this week after next. Mm -hmm. Um, It'll be on September 1st. September 1st is when we'll do it. We may stream it live. I just want to confirm with Marvel that that's what he really wants to do, um, and then um, and then and I, I think it'll be very valuable for the community to help answer answer some questions. Uh, Anthony, quick question: Is there a place for MQTT in energy transmission? IEC sixty one eight fifty or IEC one hundred four is very in depth as the prevailing protocol seems close to me. Cheers. Answers: Yes. 
Um, the answer is yes. And in fact, MQTT is being used in energy transmission and um, you know power distribution and energy transmission much in the same way it's being deployed in life sciences. So um, uh, we sh might want to just shoot a video to, to highlight where MQTT is being leveraged um, in energy transmission. A really good example would be basic, basically anywhere where MuleSoft or Kafka would be in your energy transmission architecture, your um, IoT architecture, that that's being replaced with MQTT. But I'll do a I can do a much more. MuleSoft, that's the one that Salesforce owns, correct? It's like Salesforce is middleware. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, Salesforce. Nihal. I think Salesforce bought it. Nihal. You say there's Nihal. a uh, Brendan O'Reilly. You say there's a place for OPC UA on the edge, right? Does OPC have to be used on the edge, or can MQTT or some other protocol be used? Uh, absolutely. So, and in fact, now that Ravil's here, let me let me say this. And and here here's one of the the big challenges that we have in the architectures we design. Okay. Most of the OPC UA evangelists, what they say is correct about the standard, okay? Yes, Walker, the things you're saying that you need to do, we can achieve that with OPUA, okay? Because it's in the standard. And, and if you read the standard, if you read the standard, the, they're right, okay? The, I mean, OPC UA standard's not crap, and it wasn't written by dumb people. It was written by brilliant people, Okay. It's misguided. It's gone in the wrong direction in some places. Here's the fundamental challenge with OPC UA. Okay, it's really two challenges. Number one, there's no one product that encompasses everything. Even Ravil, his company, One Way Automation, has to make many, many OPC products. Okay, it's not, it's not a product. It's not you know you have like this. You have a OPC browser. You have this connector from this information model. You got this thing from this information model. Those are solutions that are specific to use cases, right? And they're needed because there's value in the information model. The, the number one, if anybody asks me, what is OPC UA's biggest value? Everyone is going to tell you the exact same thing. It is the information model native to the standard, okay? So that is the, the way that they organize all the objects in a industrial server number one, and number two, the information models that come from the companion spec, which are basically, how do I build a user-defined data type for this type of machine? So for those of you that do UDTs or add-on instructions inside of a Rockwell PLC, an information model in OPC UA is the equivalent to a AOI or a UDT inside of a Rockwell PLC. It is a user-defined type. The difference is, is that how you build that user-defined type is written by the people who wrote the companion spec. They said, if you're gonna build a user-defined type for a CNC, you're gonna build it this way. Great point, Alan Duvall. Nothing drives me crazier. I'm using information model because that's what the OPC teams do. That's what they use, but th that's what they call it. But it's not an information model. It's a data model. Okay. I think Alan Alan's being funny because he's I think being he watched right. He's being a program. he's being a wise ass, but he's it's a good point. They're not really information models, and and, and, and it's not me nitpicking. They're data models, okay. And this goes into what is data and what is information. That being said, they should be called data models. They shouldn't be called information models. But the value of the OPC UA, of OPC UA as I see it, it are the information models. 
But here's the challenge, okay? And, and Ravil, this is important for you. The types of projects that we do have to solve two types of use cases. Current state, what do I have right now? What is my current infrastructure? What machines do I have on the plant floor at this exact moment? Okay, what the legacy stuff, the stuff with no intelligence, the stuff with some intelligence, the stuff, the stuff with old intelligence, right? Or with, with uh, contemporary intelligence. And then future state. So if I'm gonna, if when I build machines in the future, how should we build them? What should those minimum technical requirements be? Mm -hmm. I have to be able to integrate what I currently have and have a plan for plugging in equipment in the future, literally plugging it in, plugging it into the network, configuring it and having it point all of its data out. And I'm going to answer your edge, you know, what is edge driven question today? Okay. The OPC UA, you, you're correct. You can achieve that with OPC UA, but you can't do it using, you can't do it easily using the methodologies we use so that we can scale. One of the, one of the number one issues that customers have is justifying the expense of integrating their legacy equipment into the new infrastructure. Okay. So in order to do that, we have, in order to justify it, we have got to reduce, have that cost of integrating all these old pieces of machinery as low as humanly possible. Approach zero. Right. Approach like we're talking $800 per machine or less. Okay. Um, okay. So, and, and that's one of the challenges and, and Ravil and I will talk about this when we, when we meet, I'm going to talk about, Hey, here are the projects that we're doing. You know, here are the types of projects. One of the things that Ravil says is, Hey, OPC UA can do these things. He's right. It can, it can't do it as lightweight as you can do it in MQTT. He'll, he, he can't, you can't do it as predictably as you can in MQTT and you can't do it as simply as you can in MQTT. And he says that those are his own words. And so my response is, well, if I can do it simply, predictably, and l more lightweight in MQTT, why would I bother with OPC UA? And the answer is, I would bother with OPC UA for my legacy equipment, because that's the easiest way, native protocol to OPC UA into the, in, in, through an IoT gateway into the MQTT infrastructure. So that's number one. Number two, future state, it's going to be information models. So on my machines where I want that CNC information model coming from that companion spec, the best way to do that is to put an onboard OPC UA server and consume that information model and use PubSub Part 14 to get it into the infrastructure. Okay. So, also, yeah, go ahead, Zach. Sorry. Um, also, um, like Factory Plus a specification, taking the OPC UA information models, plugging them right into Spark Plug B, you know? Correct. So, and by the way, a lot of people are doing that. They're taking the specification for the information model in a companion spec, and instead of serving it out via an OP server, they're just packaging it up in a JSON and sending it over an MQTT payload. Uh, but Brendan Riley, to answer your question, no, of course not. With a PLC Next, why would I use OPC to why would I use OPC to get the data from a PLC Next into my infrastructure? I'm going to use MQTT natively. With a Siemens S7, 1200 or 1500, I'm going to use the MQTT block inside of the PLC. Why? Because it's just way easier. Okay. Um, it, with a, an Opto 22 Groove Epic, with a with a Bedrock Automation PLC, um, with an Easy Rack PLC, I'm going to I'm going to pick MQTT. I'm not going to use go. OPC UA at the edge, right? But that but but it it's very important to note 
that there are really, really valuable components of the OPC UA standard. I do not talk about them all the time because remember, what I'm I'm talking to a much broader audience. And if I have, if you if if you take me and reveal and you put us, uh, I think it's Ravel, right? If you take me and Ravel and you put us in the same room in front of executives who have to make decisions about do I go with OPC UA or go with MQTT, and you have us debate it, they're not going to understand a fucking word we say. They're not going to understand ninety percent of what we say to one another, mm-hmm. and they will be more confused at the end. What they do understand is edge-driven, report by exception, lightweight, open architecture. They understand that. And when Ravil wants to get into a semantical argument about, well, OPC UA isn't heavyweight, it's just more heavy than MQTT is. I less, can't get less in, lightweight. Yeah, it's less lightweight. I can't get into a semantical argument with an executive about that. I have to make a determination as the architecture, this is lightweight, that's heavyweight. That's how I have to do it, right? So I, wa- I wanted to make that point. This OPC discussion is an important, important discussion, gang. It's a v- very important discussion. Yeah, it leads into and disruptive here's what, leadership. It leads into disruptive leadership, which we'll talk about later in the week. But let me say this. This community, I have absolutely no doubt that there are many people at the OPC Foundation. I mean, they're watching our videos. We know they are, okay? Um, they, uh, we, we, know, we know for a fact that they are. There are members of the committees who have reached out to me to say, hey, we had this conversation at this committee meeting about this video that you said, and so what you're saying is working, okay? Um, I have full faith that some member of the OPC Foundation right now is working their ass off on the OPC UA solution, the one that encapsulates as much of the standard as they possibly can, because oh, they the know, path? right? Because they know that is the path forward for OPC UA within Industry 4.0. Okay. I also who know. Would you have, who would you have build it though? Who would I have build? For me, it would be um, Amazon. You know, services. It would it would be AWS or it would be uh, um, Kepware. It'd be PTC. Is who I would have do it. Um, it, it's going to be expensive to do. I mean, I, as long as it's not Microsoft or Rockwell, I don't really care who does it. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's let's get yeah. to the let's get to the questions. Um, so this first one is is going to be kind of long. Um, so here was the uh, the the first question I got um, today. Excuse me. Was uh, hopefully you guys see this. Hey, uh, I didn't I didn't put the person's name in here because I forgot to get permission to put their their name in here. But the question was, how did Intellic integration scale so fast? And his specific question was, hi, Walker, how are you? I'll try to ask this question in a way you can answer in a few words. Intellic integration is a, is relatively new. 2016, it says on LinkedIn. So how did you guys scale so fast in just five years? Uh, you can answer with a few words or number. What was the growth rate so far? How many engineers do you have today? We're looking for large projects, and while we are a product company, we act more like a systems integrator in most cases. All right, so great question. I've probably gotten this question 20 times in the last month alone. I get it all the time. I've talked about it in previous videos, but I'm sure you guys don't want to hear about it. So, I, But I'll answer it today because I asked him, do you think I should answer this in the Q&A? And he said, yeah. So yes, we started in 2015. Uh, we had 100% annual growth in our first two years. So year over year, we grew 100% each year. 
Uh, we, we've been a cash company from day one. I didn't have to borrow any money. Um, I funded it myself. Um, and then, you know, we basically had two core accounts in that first year. Um, I can get in, I'll get into, I can get into all the details. How did I hire people? You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, we've had 30 to 50% annual growth in subsequent years. Um, 2019 to 2020 was a flat year. So that's the only year where we didn't have significant growth. I did a reorg at the end of 2020 or not end, but during 2020 and 2021 will be a record year. It'll be hundred percent growth from 2020 and 2021. We are a small company. I say this all the time. We have 11 full-time employees in the United States. We have two partners that, that scale, that scale us up to 53 people. So we have two strategic partners that we have a financial stake in that we've invested in that scales us up to 53 total people. Okay. We have 212 accounts. So, uh, 212 active accounts. Um, so how did we, how did we do this? What was the plan to scale? Okay. So I started with my background. So before I created the company, I knew two things. Number one, um, that I was going to create a completely different type of integrator. So I wasn't going to take the integrators I worked for and copy what they did. What I was going to do would say, oh man, that's stupid what they're doing. This is really the way that's gonna work, okay? Um, so I took my experience working for the end user. So I worked, if you guys remember, I worked in uh, mining, I worked in uh, the printing industry, I worked in the steel industry, and I worked for a tier one automotive supplier at the beginning of my career um, in, uh, in engineering, okay? so. I took my experience there. What I learned was who knew what the actual problems in the organization were. And what I learned was that management has no fucking idea at all. <laughs> they have no idea what the actual problems are. They are focused at a different level. Okay. They're focused. They're focused at 10,000 foot, 5,000 foot, but management, the carpeted side of the business has no idea what the actual problems in the business are. They have none. So I learned, well, who knew what the problems were? And it's actually the people on the plant floor. So I decided as an integrator, we're going to play the long game, not the short game. Okay. So remember that. Number two, I asked the question, why can't the end user fix their own problems? If they've got smart people, what's the reason they can't fix their own problems? And the answer is because they have, they don't have the staff for all the problems they have. So what I realized as an engineer working for the end user was that I never got to finish a project ever, 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 ever. The best case scenario was I got it to 70% and then it was good enough. Okay. So what I decided when we created our integrator, we're going to solve problems to the hundred percent mark and we're going to understand why it is they're not fixing their own problems. So we do the worst projects in the worst environment at the worst time of the year. That's what integrators do. Number four, why don't contractors end up solving the real problems? Okay. So why is it the integrators aren't solving the actual problems for the, um, the end user? Okay. Cost too then much I, time, takes so much then, money. Well, also, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story here in a second about, you know, what, what your typical integrator does. If you go and look at, go to inductive automation and, and you know, and inductive automation sends out thing, this list of, top sales, you know, people who've sold those ignition licenses, integrators. If you look at the top five, top 10 companies in that top 50 list, 
you couldn't fuck pay me to use most of those companies to do an to do a project. And that's the truth. It doesn't it's not all of them, but you couldn't pay me to use most of them because we go behind those guys. So we're we're constantly fixing projects that they're doing. And the re and the fail and the and the failure on their part has nothing to do with aptitude and skill, has everything to do with strategy and values. Okay. So I took my experience working for two of the top integrators in the world. So um, I worked for my first integrator I worked for was um, a CSIA system integrator of the year, the year before I got there. Okay. So they were supposed to be the gold standard. And then I got hired by another integrator based in California who was one of the top 50 best integrators in the world. They actually had the sign, you know, on the wall. Um, and so I, I asked myself, I wanted to learn from their mistakes. So I said, you know, what were they promising? What were they actually delivering? Okay. What was the difference between what they told their clients and what was actually going on? And what were they doing wrong? Two stories. The first integrator, the the one who was a Wait, CSIA can you, can you system. Repeat, can you repeat that part again? Sorry. Just Yeah. So the, what, what did I learn working for two of the top integrators in the world? Number one. I learned that there was a problem with what they were promising. Okay. Number two, I learned that there was a problem with what they were actually delivering. Number three, I highlighted the difference between what they told their clients, what was actually going on. Okay. What was actually happening. And number four, I asked, what were they doing wrong? Why is it they weren't solving the end user's actual problem? Okay. I'm going to tell you two stories. The first integrator I worked for who was a, you know, system integrator of the year, the year before I got there, and I've told several stories about these guys. Here's why I left. Okay? Here's why I left that company. Um, two things. They they would do this leadership training. Um, you would everybody would go through this leadership course, okay? And um, and it was it was like basically uh, how do you, you know, it was like it was sort of like I don't want to say brainwashing, but I'll use the term. It was brainwashing for being an employee there, but it wasn't really, I don't mean it pejoratively. I mean, they were trying to get everyone to operate the same way, right? That, and, and so you, it was a, it, there was, they invested a huge amount of money and every person going through that, you would do role playing in certain situations and that kind of stuff. And they were a values-based company. And, and I really, really appreciated that. But when it came to, uh, to graduate this program, uh, they gave you like 10 use cases and you had to fill out your answer, what you would do in that situation. Okay. So I answered all of them. I knew that I answered nine of them perfectly. And number 10, one of the, the 10th one was I knew what they wanted me to say and I knew what I would actually do. Okay. And, and it basically boiled down to you're working with a colleague. The colleague says, um, starts talking shit about your manager. I got a problem with my manager this. I got a problem with my manager that. You know, how would you handle that situation? The, the what they wanted me to say was they wanted me to go behind my colleagues back and go tell my manager. That's what they wanted me to do. They and they they didn't do it as going behind his back, but it was holding him accountable. What I would actually do is tell him that you need to go talk to the manager and voice your problems. And if you don't, I'm going to go with you. And that's the way I answered it. And I told them, and so after you're done with that, you go and you sit at a table and you, and they, and it's like a round thing and they go through all your answers. 
and they got to number 10 and I told them specifically, I know you want me to answer it this way. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't do it that way a hundred times out of a hundred. I'm a transparent values-based person. Needless to say, I did not get my leadership thingy there. I knew that I wouldn't get it. Even though the director who I reported to said, you advocated. And by the way, the guy, the contractor that they hired to do that leadership training, I've seen him many times now, the guy who owns the company. I've seen him many, many, many times. Okay. And he tries to sell to me all the time. And very good guy, having a lot of respect for him. He told me to my face on a flight, actually at Love Field, we were sitting at the in the airport, that it was a huge mistake. We we knew that you were going to be an exceptional leader, but you know, it, it wasn't about the training. It wasn't about your leadership. It was about you answering the right question. And even though we tried to get you certified, we, we couldn't do it because they want, it was more important that you went directly to the manager behind their back. Okay. Number two, we were, I was doing a project for a major coffee company um, in Georgia. You, a, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I want to tell say, the can, two. Can you go explain ahead. why that's a, because I don't think that's the culture we have here, <laughs> but why is that a bad, like, why would you not do it that way? Like the behind the back thing or. Like you want to be able to find it Here, here's why. each other? Or? So if you if you come to me, if you come to me and you tell me you have a problem with someone you work with, talking to me isn't going to fix it. You're not you're not really bouncing ideas off of me. You're bitching. That's not a solution. You know, all relationships are marriages. OK, and I say this all the time. You. When you have problems in your marriage, the only person you should talk to about your problems in your marriage is your partner. Because you're the two, you're the only two who entered into that relationship. You made the decision to enter into it. You're the only ones who are privy to all the details of the relationship. Therefore, you are the only ones who have the, 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 the tools you need to fix whatever problem you have. The same thing is in your professional relationships. I don't know the history behind the manager and that person. And if that person tells me the history between them and their manager, all I'm getting is their side of the story. I'm not a fucking mediator. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 pro, the way to solve that problem is to take you and that person and put you together. The problem is, is the way that that integrator ran because of the power structure, that manager had power over that person. That person didn't feel free to go and give what I believe was very fair, constructive criticism. Transparency. Transparency. In our organization, we have a flat hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So that is, as long as you're living up to your values, there are no consequences. As long as you're living up to our values. It doesn't right. matter if you get into a disagreement with the executive vice president of the company. You're the one who's doing the right thing. So that's part of the value piece. Right. Story number two. I was working for a major uh, coffee company and doing a big major project, major implementation, and Ignition was the best solution for them, okay? And I went to our the solutions architect, the, the, the applications engineer who designed the solution for this customer, and I told him, I said, hey, long-term, you know, look, they want to do this data collection. You've added in all these additional licenses they don't need. If we put Ignition here, it solves all these problems. And his response to me was, we can't sell Ignition. It has to be Wonderware. If we sell Wonderwear, if we sell Ignition, Wonderware will pull our discounts. So we have to sell Wonderware. And I said, what about the client? And they just shut up. 
They weren't about to say, well, the client's concerns are secondary to me. So one of the things I, this is why we do not sign vendor agreements. I learned from that moment. I'm not, the, my very first phone call with Rockwell Automation in 2015, when we created this company, was with the local Rockwell rep here. That Rockwell guy was, was tried to strong arm us. It wasn't the, he wasn't from, off your by the way, he wasn't, wasn't from Rockwell. Let me clarify. He was the Rockwell rep. This wasn't someone from Rockwell. It was the rep, the person in the AR. And he, he told us we could not put inductive automation on our website if we wanted to be one of their partners. I told him to go fuck himself and hung up the phone. Now, he hates me to this day. I don't give a shit. I'm richer than he is. And, and I'm, much, I'm far more influential in the community. Why? Because of values. Okay? All right. And then here's my last story. And, this, this, and I've told this before. Zach, and when I worked for the other integrator, the next integrator, the night before, Zach and I worked on a project together in 2013, I think it was, or 12, 12 or 13. And the night before that project kicked off, the salesperson, who, by the way, works for one of the company, you know, the, the one of the companies that sells, you know, is always in the top 10 list of ignition. The sales guy did a kickoff meeting with me. I was the lead engineer and like eight of the other developers. This is the first time I'm meeting nearly everybody. And the sales guy says, we sold this with smoke and mirrors. And he literally did this. He went, smoke and mirrors, smoke and mirrors. He goes, what we sold them is not even possible. <laughs> he, and, and as God is my witness, Zach was sitting at the table. He heard all the same things I did. And there's a couple other guys I could bring on here and tell you the same fucking thing. He said, now it's your guys' job to deliver it. Okay. I was personally appalled. I nearly, he also told us that we weren't allowed to tell the customer that the, you know, who was a subcontractor and who actually worked for the integrator and all that stuff. Fuck that. We, we wait 15 minutes into the kickoff. We just told him who it was, you know, because it's my reputation. It's not this, this fucking sales guys, you know, the, what I learned from those integrators was that for them, Selling to everyone was the only thing that mattered. The number was the only thing that mattered. Solving the problem didn't matter. It wasn't important. It was it was like this they had they had this existential belief that as long that you did a good job, as long as the customer isn't complaining. It doesn't matter that they get cancer 2 years from now. Okay? It doesn't matter that you created you put a cancer in their facility. It was inconsequential. So what did we do? Number one, we built a strategy. And you guys will see some of this stuff this weekend or um, in Mastermind because this is part of the dynamic leadership, transformative leadership that we're going to be going over. So what was our strategy? Our strategy, number one, was to build dynamic teams, okay, of subject matter experts, okay, not the hierarchy you see in traditional integrators. Number two, we do the projects engineers and developers want to do. So you sell to your team's strengths, okay? You don't just throw shit against the wall and get whatever you... And, and, and do the projects on whatever sticks, okay? Number three, focus on the end user, okay? The actual end user on the plant floor. Number four, be a brain surgeon, not a contractor. When I go to the doctor, I don't want the doctor to sell me something at all costs. I want the doctor to tell me what the fuck is wrong and tell me what I should do to fix it, okay? Number five, all other integrators are colleagues, not competitors, until they prove otherwise. There is a large integrator 
I don't know, you know, I can't say the name any uh, yet, but there's a large integrator based in in Indiana, a huge integrator, who was a they were a Traxxas and they were a Rockwell, you know, company. They weren't doing any ignition, and I went and met with their leadership and sold them on ignition. And then when they went to ICC, I sold them on ignition again. I also took one of their engineers to one of our projects and I taught him how to do our projects. Okay. And the reason why was because if, if they were the biggest integrator, they're the biggest integrator in that area. If they're not doing ignition projects with IOT platforms, then every single customer that they're working with is getting solution centric, um, projects. Okay. So I treated them as a colleague, not as a competitor. And I do that to this day. Number six, all partnerships are marriages. Treat them like it. I already referenced this earlier, okay? They're marriages. You are literally getting in bed with somebody for a very, very, very long time. You don't, you know, I say this all the time. Don't marry for love. Marry for values, right? Love, you fall in and out of love with people all the time. That means if you got married for love, the moment you're not in love, you're going to get a divorce. But if you marry for something bigger than love, you have a reason to be together when you're not in love, Okay. Uh, delight the client, sometimes in spite of the client. That means tell the damn truth. The way we build our teams, how did we scale? The way we built our teams, we built, we use a T-based team building model. I'm going to talk about this in transformative leadership. We hire for values and aptitude, not skill sets. I was just talking with Cheryl McCrary about this this morning. We had a, a long meeting with her and was saying, I don't, this is why we don't look at resumes. We look at values first. And then we believe, do you have the aptitude to do this stuff? We don't pay attention to the skill set, okay? And we use SME-driven management. What does that mean? We don't put some idiot who's not qualified to tell an engineer what to do in charge of an engineer. What we do is we put subject matter experts in the team, someone who's an SME in SQL development, someone who's an SME in Python, SME in IoT platforms, and the engineers report to those SMEs over their subject matter, okay? No other integrator does this. You, you're not going to find this in other large integrators. And last but not least, values, values, values. So what do you believe in? That is, if you're an integrator and you say, you have to ask yourself, what do I believe in? If, if I believe in money and I, I want a, a vacation home, you have to be honest with yourself about that. You also need to be honest with everybody else around you. It means you need to surround yourself with people who only care about money. You can't you can't be chasing the bottom line and then coming up with some bullshit mission statement and value statement that everyone's going to know is a crock of shit. Every employee who rolls their eyes every time you go, oh, well, our mission is this or our values are that. You can't do that stuff. People aren't stupid. It's amazing to me how many leaders of organizations who could give a shit about their mission or value statement. They've got it plastered all over the place. But they don't really care. Or they, they say safety is job number one, and they don't really mean it. They don't give a shit if you fucking die. What they care is, is that if you die, it doesn't cost them too much. If they don't admit that, and they don't surround themselves with people who have those values, that creates an environment of acrimony. It creates a bifurcation. It creates an, an, an us and them mentality. You cannot scale a business at the speed of light if you are fighting internal political battles every other day, okay? And though, and that comes from acrimony, that comes from us versus them, okay? 
You need to find people who believe in the same things, team members, partners, clients. We've been able to scale because we surrounded ourselves with people who believe the same stuff we do, including our clients. And I'm going to say something very important here, okay? My team will tell you, okay? My team will tell you, if I believe a client doesn't believe what we believe, we are not working with them. I will pull the plug in a heartbeat. And I was in a meeting just in the last couple of weeks that had a that that had a couple of directors in that meeting and i asked them what was a very i asked them a very very fair question and they got offended number 1 and then number 2 they gave an answer i did not believe in and i told them we are not right for you and i got up to leave i didn't get up i actually pushed my chair back to leave before they tried they before they stopped me okay if you want to know how you scale, only do projects with clients who believe the same things you do. Because if you don't, you are going to get bogged down in politics. Mm -hmm. and, and, and no one wants to hear this. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've told this to. No one wants to hear it. When they go, hey, how do you... Oh, we need your the revenue or it's just... Yeah, we need time. the revenue. We need it for cash flow. Yeah. We need it for this. We need it for much, that. Much to the chagrin of the business development department within our organization sometimes. I'm telling you, how many times the engineers on here who work for integrators or have worked for integrators, how many times have you seen your employer or former employer lie to your customer about that your company's ability to do their project? How many times, how many times have you had no fucking idea how software A works or I've never touched that PLC, I've never done motion control, okay? I've never written a sequencer in an array. How many times have you been put on a project or you've seen someone been put on a project who had no experience in what they were doing and yet the customer was led to believe that they were the expert? How many times? If you work for an integrator, it's a million times. If you work for a traditional integrator, it's happening today, right now, okay? So what do we believe in? We believe in transparency, authenticity, expertise, humility, servant leadership. I'm gonna tell you the truth, transparency. I'm gonna tell you the truth, whether you like it or not, okay? For better or worse, because we're a brain surgeon. We're authentic, I am who I am. Great question was asked, Gary Vaynerchuk. Somebody asked, some lady asked Gary Vaynerchuk, you know what, I love your messages, I love everything you do, but you curse too much. She said, why do you curse? And he said, because that's me. That's just who I am. I don't, I don't spend time trying to be someone I'm not. That's authenticity. Expertise, expertise, we are experts and we act like it. If I'm not the expert, I will tell you. If, if Michael is not the expert, he will tell you. If Matt is not the expert, he will tell you. If any of our engineers are not the expert, they will tell you. I'm not the expert here. Okay? Humility. We know what we're good at. And, and more importantly, we know what we're not good at. Servant leadership. It means that we see our role as leaders as a responsibility, not a privilege. Okay? Tell, leadership. tell about the core values that are on our walls. <laughs> Zach's face is all we over. didn't just we didn't just use some stock photo <laughs> correct we use real photos so what are the leaders what are our leadership approach our leaders are enablers okay our leaders put in the work our leaders hold us all accountable to our values you want to know another way that you scale don't expect your employees to work as hard as you do 
Okay, you're the one who's taking the risk and you're getting you're getting a bigger piece of the benefit than they are. You're going to work harder. That's just the way it is. And if you're not working harder, you need to understand you will not be successful. You're and you're certainly not going to scale. And last but not least, if you want to scale over five years, then what you have to do is plan for growth. Don't react to growth. You need to plan for the growth. You know how hard it is to hire engineers? Do you know how hard it is to hire business development people? Do you know how hard it is to find those people? If you start looking for them when you need them, you're fucked. You're subcontracting your project out. You are, you're going to put somebody on that project who doesn't belong on that project. Okay, you're going to make do with what you have. I'm telling you this right now. Our close rate is 70%. If you look at our client list, 220, you know, whatever clients we have, our client list is a who's who of every company that every integrator wants to work with on the planet. And they call us. We don't call them. Why? I, I was telling Cheryl this this morning. I'm a dick. Every, I mean, there are a lot of people who think I'm a jerk. The people who work for me don't think I'm a jerk, but they think I can be one. Okay? So they're not calling me because I'm the nicest guy in the world. They're calling Intellic Integration. They're calling 4.0 Solutions because they know they're going to get the truth. And they know they're going to get experts. And they know that they're not going to find out two years from now that you put some idiot on my project who didn't know what the fuck he was doing. Okay? Any questions about that? Sorry, I got a little fired up, Zach. Am I trying to build? <clears throat> oh, there's a question I wanted to get to that I said we would get to at the end. But um... let, let me answer these, la let me answer these last right. two real quick. So what about PLC4X? It was like in the OPC UA video. Um, was there any, any comments to what I was saying there? I mean, was that helpful that it, you know, hopefully it's a question that the community wanted answered. We get it. We get it enough that um, I decided to do it publicly. Streaming analytics said he loves about this podcast is how fired up you get dropping F-bombs and spicing up the truth. I don't drop the F-bombs on purpose. It just happens. Sorry. Um, all right. So there was a question from Aragon Ritter. Aragon is obviously not his real name. Um, what about PLC4X? This was in the OPC video. He said, what about Apache PLC4X in comparison to MQTT or OPC UA? As the project aims to do exactly that, but open source, that is single source of truth, especially the MSpec format, which makes protocols read, really read, readable, uh, readable for everybody. All right. The, the reason I, I'm answering this is I, everyone should take a look at PLC4X, okay? The answer is PLC4X is similar to OPC UA and MQTT in terms of what they try to achieve with a unified, if you're going to create a unified namespace. The problem is, is that it's still, you know, it, 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 it would be the equivalent. Right now, what, the difference between PLC4X and an OPC UA server is PLC4X is native drivers to basically web service API out. OPC UA server is native drivers to OPC server out, okay? that They're basically the same thing. And one is open source, one is not open source, okay? But everyone should take a look at PLC4X. I've done a couple of tests with it. The problem is, is why would I use that? Why would I go, yeah, I think it's a step forward from OPC UA, but if I've got, it, if I've got OPC UA here, PLC4X here, and I got MQTT here, why don't I just go to MQTT? And use the broker. And then the last question is, what's edge driven? So this is for Raviel. So 
he, he there's a chat you know people having trouble understanding what edge driven is so edge driven is not server client number one number two connections are instantiated from edge nodes so that is i could take a smart thing on my machine a plc i could plug it into the network i could put in a group id i could put in um, a couple of other ids and then i would just transmit all my data into an infrastructure that other clients could consume from okay it that mean, it means I don't have to have any inbound ports opened, okay? And I can drive self-aware applications. You could achieve edge-driven with OPC UA, okay? You could achieve it, but not with ready, readily available products right now, okay? And you can't do it more lightweight than you can do it with MQTT. So there's a couple of diagrams here. So let me zoom out here. Uh, quick, quick answer to streaming analytics questions. The answer yep. is yes, right? The answer is, what do, you see, what do you mean? Do you see the question on the screen? I don't, because they're on my screen. Oh, okay. Ask do you them. recommend Sparkplug B and MQTT over at OPC UA for a company trying to create an IoT cloud application? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. At that, at that level, 100%, yes. Um, so Edge Driven makes this possible. So Industry 4.0 architecture on the right, ISA 95, PLC Edge, makes the connection to the infrastructure, instantiates the connection, but it can also subscribe to the namespace. The HMI, the SCADA, MES, ERP cloud, all the other solutions, same thing. They are edge driven. They instantiate into the infrastructure. The infrastructure doesn't pull out to any of them, okay? Uh, another good example is if you look at your o typical OPC infrastructure, right? I've got my PLCs A, B, C, and D. We want to make these edge driven, right? PLC A, B, C, and D. Well, in a perfect world, what we want to do is we want to we want to plug the PLC and point it to the infrastructure instead of setting up in a server that's going to pull and wait for a response. Okay. If I'm going to do this, I need to put the server right next to the PLC so that that OPC server and PLC become a node in and of themselves. And then I could use the OPC server. I can either use existing OPC technology or I can convert it to drive from the edge. Another good example is this is the difference of the architecture from OPC UA and MQTT where all of the things are edge driven. They're all connecting into the infrastructure first and then everything can consume from the infrastructure. So I can, this thing can consume the data from this sensor and then it could create new information and put it back into the infrastructure so that this thing can consume. But edge driven means that this sensor instantiates the connection to the infrastructure. This sensor instantiates it. Okay, I don't have to have a port open to, to get to that sensor. And I can install that sensor, configure that sensor, and its data will show up in the infrastructure available to the other clients. And so you can create self-aware applications, right? This is what Matt Paris talks about all the time. And and this is what we build, where I plug in a sensor and it shows up on the screen, okay? And then this is the high level. Uh, shout out to GIS, um, Kian and his team. They're the ones who built the actual slide for us. But this is the type of unified namespace we build. All of these things are edge driven into the infrastructure. All right. So last any, few questions. Any other questions? Yep. So CK put this background information basically saying this. Um, 
Hi, I'm, I'm trying to build a cloud native MES solution for one of the clients have multi-site. The volume of data is huge and the logging rate would be much higher around 100,000 tags per second. Okay. Which product, Which would, product you? would you suggest for data transfer from plat to cloud? Okay. Um, all right. So there's, I don't have enough information to give you an answer, but I'll, I'll give you a, there's really three ways you can go. Okay. You can go with off the shelf data optimization tools, like say from Azure and AWS. So like a Azure Edge um, or um, AWS Edge up into the IoT hub. You can do that, right? Because they, they optimize. Um, Kafka is really good for this. So Kafka is really good. But you the big thing that Kafka is good for is like um, uh, optimization and streaming of um, um, time series data. But Kafka would be really good for that optimization. But also multiple MQTT transmission connections to break the namespace up into pieces for stretches, um, stretches into the are um, streaming into the, the cloud. Um, Walker, oh, Richard Blanchett. Thank you, Richard. Uh, catching the tail end of the stream. Wanted to thank you for your time last night answering my questions around Sparkplug being Kafka. Yeah, if you guys want to see that conversation, it's in the IIoT channel. Um, we got a new subscriber. Streaming excellent. Analytics. Thank you. Thank Welcome. you, Streaming Analytics. Um, is there any other questions? Hey, was was the, how many people do we still have on? Like we 40, have a bunch of people 45, yeah. Did, was was the was the answering the question about scaling, was that something was that appropriate to do, um, for this stream? Or is that or is the business stuff, you know, questions about business, um, not the kind of thing we should be touching on in the live Q and A? And should yeah. we stick to just techni technology questions? I thought it was valuable, but um, I'm not. <laughs> I may be biased. Uh, Mario, yes, there's a mastermind scheduled for Friday. We're going to be diving deeper into the tra uh, transformative leadership training, and that's the mm -hmm. day after the PLC Next workshop. So, if you're in mentorship, we're going to talk about PLC Next we're gonna, workshop on Thursday. So this week in mastermind, we're going to go over transformative leadership. Um, we're going to go over disruptive leadership, and we're going to use use cases. So this is going to be how do you manage your projects? How do you how do you manage a digital transformation initiative as a transformative or disruptive leader? That's what we're covering on this one. Last question. Uh, yep. Can you provide, can you provide insights? Can you uh, can you please provide some insights on development of an FFT solution for vibration? Oof, I can't answer that in the live Q and A. Um, we. Uh, I know Sensory. We're going to be talking to you soon. They do vibration yeah. analysis. We. Uh, we should shoot a video. We should get more information from him on the use case yeah, and then what shoot is a video. the question more specifically? Reach out to us and say it in Discord. Thanks for sharing. And, and, and when it comes to the business side of things, let me say this, guys. I cannot stress enough the importance of surrounding yourself with people who value the same thing you do. Okay? I, there's, there, it, it, is, it is really, really, really important. If you... You can come up with the greatest business strategy in the world, okay? You could, you could literally put on paper how we're going to scale, okay? You could sketch out your entire plan, right? And then when you didn't achieve it, be totally in the dark as to why it is you're not hitting each of the milestones in your business strategy. And the answer is almost always going to be tied back to values, 
that you have people on your team who don't value what you value or they value things you should be valuing. Um, all right. Business and strategy and tech. Yes, please. It was valuable to understand the business strategy and how the values matter. I still would like to hear more about the scaling and transitions from OPC UA to MQTT usage. Ooh, that's a good one, Paul. Um, yeah, when did when did we, in terms of our applications and our projects, when did we move from OPC UA to MQTT as the primary protocol and where do we still use OPC UA and MQTT? The answer, the, the quick answer is for OPC UA, we are using OPC UA just like the use case I showed you guys in the video, that we are, we're converting from OPC UA to MQTT on the edge. That's what we're doing. You know, we're using Kep Server, we're using Ignition, you know, Ignition Edge to talk that native driver and then convert to MQTT as quickly as possible. That's what we're doing. We use OPC UA significant, in, in significant applications, but it's all on the edge. There, we're never getting above level two, right? We're never getting above the aggregation of PLCs uh, and still OPC UA. The, the, the OPC aggregator, like an OPC server aggregator, we never use those. There's no reason in our applications we ever would. But I can see, I can see um, there would be some use cases where that would be appropriate. My basic computer class is listening in as a demo of a live streaming. Oh, that's awesome, Jeff. <laughs> Great stuff. Thank you very much. I always feel bad for dropping the F-bombs when Jeff tells me his class is watching. Um, but I don't know how to do it otherwise. Um, yes, say too, exactly. Uh, disruptive leadership is definitely hard, man. You get it. Uh, great session. All right. Awesome. And watch out for MQTT part one dropping tomorrow. And Zach, Zach's jumping on a plane um, here in a couple of hours. He'll be out here. We'll be shooting additional content tomorrow. Right, Zach? We love shooting content. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, MQ tomorrow. And MQTT part one drops tomorrow, right? That video? Yes. Excellent. And All then right. part awesome. two drops on Friday. Sponsored um, by EMQ. And then EMQ I will say this for the community. If you guys um, if you guys need any assistance or uh, any support uh, for the rest of the week, I'll actually be on vacation until Monday. So feel free to reach out to Zach or Travis uh, and they'll be able to help you out, guys. Awesome. Thank you all. Pre you guys appreciate you guys. Thank you. Right.